Well, it's good to be in worship with you here this morning. Uh, If you are newer with us, uh, my name is Brian, and it's good to have you here. And we are going to be in Numbers chapter 13 here today. So good to have you all here in the West, the East Auditorium, as well as those worshiping online as we turn there. And um, there is a a sign in the Australian outback uh, that reads this way. Choose your rut carefully. You will be in it for the next 400 miles. And I thought about this as I was thinking on our series uh, that we started here last week called Above All Else, which is based on the proverb in Proverbs 4.23, which says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And with this understanding that with our heart, that uh, the heart in the scriptures uh, would have been more than what we might default to in our contemporary understanding of maybe a little bit more on the kind of hallmarky emotional side of heart and really is speaking to just like, like the center of your being, the mind, your reasoning, really the scriptures, when they talk about the heart, you can understand that it is the central place from which you are operating. It is like not just your reasoning, but your, the reasons for everything you do. And so because this is true, Proverbs goes on to say that, quote, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Proverbs 27, 19, that just as water, like a mirror, reflects our face, that everything we do in life at some measure is at its core a reflection of our heart. But the reality is, not everything that has gone into our heart and thus that our life reflects is necessarily uh, been a good thing that's gone in our hearts. Uh, we've had experiences and events and environments that might have happened, you know, 400 miles ago, but have left ruts in our hearts, in our being, and thus we are operating our life out of them. Christian author Reggie McNeil, he puts it this way. It says, while God is in the heart-shaping business, so much more than God has shaped your heart. Isn't that true? That we know God is in the heart-shaping business, but so much more other than God has gone into the shape and the realities of our heart. And even long-term followers of Jesus experience this this tension, this this battle within us. Uh, You might say, hey, I know God loves me. Uh, 1 John 4, 1, amidst a million other passages about God's love, I know God loves me, but I don't always feel like God loves me. Or I know he has not given me a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1, but why can't I stop worrying? Well, that's because so much more other than God has shaped your heart. And so in order for us to be able to understand how it is that God wants to be in the business of shaping our heart, we have to first recognize what all the other things that have gone into our hearts that have shaped it so that we can then appropriately by identifying, then surrender that to the one who shapes hearts. And so that's what this series is all about. It's about, you could say, getting uh, the vehicle of our life up out of the ruts and onto the road that God has marked out for us. In fact, 
God's word says it this way in Hebrews chapter 12. In fact, this passage, this excerpt we're gonna read is from what we're calling our theme passage throughout this series. Proverbs, excuse me, Hebrews 12, one through three. Uh, in fact, last week we handed out a bookmark with that verse on it uh, with the encouragement to read it every day, to memorize it, to internalize it, to let it be not just a, a verse for a sermon series, but for the living of your life. And so if you weren't here with us last week and you wanna grab one of those, there's a resource table out in the lobby uh, that you can grab uh, this bookmark as well as some on your own uh, homework for this week as well. But here's what it says, that when we wanna get out of the and onto the road God has for us. It says we've got to do this. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, the stuff that has us in the rut, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So last week, we did what we would call probably a 30,000-foot view of where we're headed on this journey, on this uh, race that God has marked out for us. And if you were unable to be with us last week, we would encourage you to go back and catch that message, as really these six weeks, we're on week two of six, is meant to build one on top of another. It's really a process, a journey that we're going through together, because we understand what we do here. We're not just preaching sermons and singing songs, that we're headed somewhere, not just with each series, but with each year and even decades, that we're in this for the long haul together. And so if you missed last week, you can catch that at firstdecatororg slash above all else, and you catch that message and all the resources. But just to get you up to speed so that we're all on the same page for it today, or let's be honest, as a refresher, because we've all slept since last weekend, we could use it. Uh, what, we're, what we're doing here is we are operating uh, in reality out of any given point, one of two life maps, we've said. Uh, we're either operating our life out of what we would call the life experience map or a God-edited map. And so the life experience map, it shows us, it reveals, it identifies the so much more that has gone into shaping our hearts other than God, which leads to what we're calling an, uh, a hindered heart or a misaligned heart with the heart of God. And so we want to surrender that to God as he edits that in his design for our life to lead us to an aligned heart with him and being what we're saying unhindered from the things that have held us back in the past. And so this week, what we're going to do is we are gonna look at these first two movements here on our life experience map that we're gonna to look today and more specifically this week at what we're calling life shapers. Life shapers, these are the ruts, these are the so much mores that have gone into our hearts uh, that shape our lives. And then out of the outpouring of that as a result of the things that have shaped our life in the negative uh, aspects of it, we have resulting sore spots. Sore spots are the bruises in our hearts that we have as a result of the things that have shaped us in our life. Dr. Walker and Dr. Byers, uh, the Christian psychologist of which this process and this material is based on, uh, says it simply in the book that we've uh, recommended. There's an accompanying book that you can kind of go a little deeper called Unhindered. It's available in the cafe or wherever you buy books. Uh, but it just simply says this. They say this. A sore spot is the place where pain has made a home in your heart. That's what a sore spot is. It is, as a result of a life shaper, it is a place where pain has taken up residence and made a home in your heart. And what happens as a result of that camping out in your heart is you have then this lens that which you view 
your entire world through it. A worldview, a paradigm might be a word you're familiar with. And so this is, shapes how you view yourself, how you view others, and even ultimately God. And we see this play out in all kinds of stories of our personalities and characters throughout the scriptures. But one in particular, we see uh, some 3,500 years ago in the time of Moses, as recorded in the book of Numbers. Uh, There we read the story of 12 scouts who were sent by Moses, 12 scouts or 12 spies, to explore the land of Canaan that God had promised the Israelites. And the Israelites, they are a people group. Uh, They are not a light source over Israel. For those who have trouble with that, that's my story. You have to go catch last week's uh, message to understand what that's about. Anyway, so these scouts, they report back to Moses uh, about what they see in this promised land from God. And they say, Numbers 13, verse 27, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. That was the promise. I'm sending you to a land that is gonna be flowing with milk and honey. And interestingly, of those 12 scouts, Two, named Caleb and Joshua, they report this in verse 30. They say, we should go and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But interestingly, the other 10 scouts report, really interrupting them, uh, next couple verses, the land we explored, no, it devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw Nephilim there. That's, those are giants. We saw giants there. And we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And surely we look the same to them. And so how is it that these 12 men saw the exact same experience, experienced the exact same thing, yet two saw certain victory, while 10 saw certain defeat. Two saw a land of flowing with milk and honey, a feast, while the other 10 saw them as the ones being feasted on like grasshoppers, they concluded. And so is this just like a case of like optimism versus pessimism? Did, you know, Caleb and Joshua, did they just, they just kind of see the world as glass half full while the other 10 as, uh, you know, you could say glass half empty kind of people? Well, no, no, there is a whole lot more going on under the hood in their lives here. And we see this in the 10, in the reality that they had an unseen life shaper and resulting sore spot. You see, we see in these scouts prior to this event that we're reading and really all of Israel, what they had gone gone through prior to this moment was that they had been slaves. They had been slaves in Egypt their entire lives, not to mention a 400-year family heritage of slavery to come in behind that. And so imagine the impact of being an entire life and in generation after generation of being completely under the rule of another people, completely subjugated, no control, no opportunity, no way out. And so naturally, slavery had left the Israelite scouts with a lens of of helplessness and defeat. You you could almost call it a a premeditated defeat that these 10 scouts had as they looked on the land because they had what um, we could call today confirmation bias. 
uh, a confirmation bias that the lens through which they were looking forward was based on the rear view mirror of the life shapers and sore spots that they had experienced. And really all they could see is a confirmation in the future of what they had already experienced in the past. That if they enter the land of the Canaanites, that they're gonna end up in the same vulnerable spot that they had experienced for the past 400 years with the Egyptians. And as we think about that idea of confirmation bias, we too, fast forward, are just as susceptible to confirmation biases in our own life, what they might call self-fulfilling prophecies of what we believe is happening in the present and the future rooted in, often subconsciously, things that have shaped our lives and left these sore spots in our hearts. For example, one of what could be a million. Uh, let's say, for example, you're a parent of a child who wakes up sick one morning, and you're running late to work, and so you text your boss. Uh, just a, a gentle explanation saying, hey, uh, my child woke up sick. I had to arrange for some childcare before I left, uh, and so I'm going to be running a little late. To which your boss responds uh, with a one-letter text reply. K. K? Like, K? like, you couldn't even have given me the full two-letter abbreviation of the word? Like, okay. Let alone the, the exasperating trouble would have been to actually spell out the entire four letters of O-K-A-Y. Uh, and if I'm honest, maybe I was thinking, you know, maybe a, oh my, I'm so sorry, uh, hope they're feeling better, totally understand, no worries. And so you read that one little letter, K, and you conclude, I'm fired. <laughs> I'm fired. Because you start to wonder, what is the subtext behind that one little letter text? You know, what does it mean? Are, are they mad at me? They're probably mad at me. They're probably mad at me. One letter text sure feels like they're mad at me, uh, which then starts to unravel into the subtext of the entire relationship with this person. It's like, you know, they've been mad at me for a long time. And then you start to replay a conversation that happened a month ago that you really hadn't given any thought to until you had transcribed this letter K on that conversation. It's like, yeah, they've been mad at me a long time. They're always mad at me. And they, you know what? They're mad at me because they just don't like me. They don't like me. And the reason they don't like me uh, is because they're mad at me and because they don't like me. Then when it comes to the next project, I'm not going to be included in the next project. And if I'm not included on the next project, well, then I'm not going to be able to advance. And if I'm not able to advance, then I'm going to be seen as dispensable. And if I'm seen as dispensable, then I'm going to get fired. I'm fired. <laughs> Reasonable conclusion. But in reality, uh, your boss was actually... When you texted your work, you know, you know the situation, uh, they were driving to work. And, and they know that you're not supposed to text while driving. And so it felt like, you know, uh, a, a K was about all they should, you know, communicate in that moment to be able to communicate, hey, no problem, it's okay. But all of those negative possibilities run through your mind. Why? Well, maybe you've had the life shaper of being fired from a job or multiple jobs in your story. And you have maybe a resulting sore spot of feeling unvalued or inadequate, the sense of rejection um, and just fear about the future. And all of that is just 
wreaking havoc on your heart and your soul and your mind all under the surface and behind the scenes that was all triggered by one little letter on this little pocket computer that we call a phone. It's powerful stuff. Life shapers and sore spots. And that is just one example of what could be thousands upon thousands for us here today. So we look back on these life shapers and these sore spots, and we think about these, these 12 Israelite scouts and their situation. And we see this divide because we know, like we see the 10, they're reacting out of this sore spot uh, naturally of fear. But then you've got Joshua and Caleb. I mean, surely slavery had taken a toll on their hearts as well. And so what's the difference? Here's the difference. And here is where we're headed over the next several weeks. This is the journey we're on. Here's where we're going. Even though Joshua and Caleb's also in their past life have life shapers and sore spots that all 12 of them experience, the difference is they chose. Joshua and Caleb chose to let God divinely edit their map to divinely edit their understanding, their perception, their perspective, and their actual approach by what we're going to discover in this process, what we'll call God's big T truth, his capital T truth that trumps and transcends our little T experiential truth with three key commitments, and that is faith, hope, and trust in God's promises. They trusted that God had gone before them, as he promised them, would give them this land. And so we are going to look at how we in our lives can look at the promises of God and place what we're going to call in the next, we're going to dive into this in the next several weeks, ruthless trust, unshakable hope, and an unhindered faith. Developing a ruthless trust, an unshakable hope, and an unhindered faith in the promises of God is the key to unlocking the door that moves us from just living out of our own life experiences and into God's edited map for our lives. And so if we, like the heroes of Caleb and Joshua in Scripture, if we're going to be able to throw off our sore spots uh, that Hebrews chapter 12 calls the sin and the everythings that entangle and hinder. As much as we're all excited, yeah, let's throw that stuff off. We have to first identify them in order that we might then throw them off. And that's the tough stuff. We can't throw off what we haven't identified when it comes to the sin and the everythings that hinder and entangle our lives. And so this process, uh, this book, the accompanying book that we're looking at, it gives us five what we call primary life shapers that we have all had at some measure in our lives. They are, uh, number one, it's probably the one we most naturally go to. We think about those big defining moments that have shaped our lives. Uh, and those could be good, bad, or ugly. You know, the good ones would be, you know, encountering faith for the first time, maybe in the context uh, of church or uh, at a church camp or something like that. Uh, but then from there, and the ones that really dive into this process are more like the bad and the ugly uh, life events and defining moments um, such as abuse or a diagnosis, perhaps a significant loss 
uh, of a loved one, maybe through death, or, or maybe the loss of a loved one through a broken relationship. These are defining moments that shape our lives. From there, uh, we have our, our family. Uh, you think about our family of origin and the lessons and the patterns and the impact that we had uh, of just growing up in that, whether that was uh, through experiences such as sibling rivalry, maybe a critical environment, uh, maybe there was explosive anger in the home, abandonment. Biology. Biology is, you could say, that uh, the nature side of that nature and nurture relationship. Things that are just, you know, your personality, uh, maybe perhaps a, a predisposition toward anxiety or depression. Uh, you know, maybe you're more of a, just an extroverted kind of person or maybe a more shy, introverted person. All these things impact who we are. And then beyond that, we might just say, I, I call it like the erosion of everyday life experiences. It's the kind of stuff that it's like the water we swim in as fish, and so we don't give much of attention to it, so we have to zoom out to catch that, you know, maybe that toxic work environment that's all you've ever known has had an impact on the way that you have been shaped and view life through. Uh, maybe a, a, a disengaged spouse over a period of time. You know, think about like kids and students in the room, you know, just the, the impact of maybe a string of being excluded from friend groups. And so all these things, they, they shape our lives. These are the everythings that Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that hinder our lives. But Hebrews 12 also says there's the sin. There is with that the very specific sin and evil that shapes our lives. Sin and evil that plays out through things like spiritual warfare, uh, sin that has been done to you, sins that you have committed, uh, sinful thoughts, constantly giving into temptation or habits, sinful patterns that have been shaped in your life. All of these are ruts. They are ruts that have shaped our heart and thus our life. And then beyond these five primary life shapers. Uh, the material speaks to uh, five what they call secondary life shapers. Secondary, not that they're not equally as impactful, uh, but they're not as clear. Like these ones, are like, these are events, experiences, um, environments that we can point to. The secondary life shapers are things like, uh, they're, they're unseen, like our beliefs, or just the way that you think, your biases, our emotions, uh, our, our will, uh, kind of like big, broad brush, or just our self-concept, like who it is that we believe ourselves to be. All of this has just been siphoned over a lifetime into our hearts. It's been poured in. And the result, just like life, or excuse me, water reflects the face, our life ref reflects those realities. And so we see those life shapers, they play out in what uh, we call sore spots that rather than, you know, we know the phrase X marks the spot with a sore spot, pain marks that spot. Pain is really, it's, it's the interpreter. It's the, the, the interpreter of the life shaping events and experiences, primary, secondary. It, it is the interpreter of our life shapers that translate them into sore spots. I was thinking about this uh, this past week um, in our in our, our home, uh, my wife, Jessica, she recently replaced the hardware on the kitchen cabinets and drawers. And she replaced what used to be there, this very smooth, you know, sleek, very forgiving piece of hardware on the uh, quadriceps and hips 
Very nice, very nice. Um, with this incredibly pointy, painful, like weaponized piece of steel that has just wreaked havoc on my leg. I mean, it looks like I've been in a paintball war with purple paintballs, just bruises all over my legs and my hips. My, I mean, these hips, they don't lie. Uh, they, are, they are all over the place. And so, and by the way, you should always wear pants when, like, paintball. I was thinking about that purple. That's weird. So, okay. All right. So, we have these pain. We don't even realize. We're just bumping into these sore spots time and time again, not expecting them, not even realizing the impact that they're having on our soul. Because as water reflects the face, so our lives have been reflecting all of these bruises, black, blue, and purple sore spots in our lives. And so these sore spots, they show up in uh, one of six primary ways. And this is not an exhaustive list, uh, but you might find, even as you thought about something that maybe came to mind, even in the Life Shapers, seeing your sore spot, things like shame, fear, inadequacy, insecurity, sense of rejection, feeling unvalued, or, or masking it all with pride, which I, actually I just realized this last service. I mean, all of that could have come out of that one little letter K text. Any of that could come from that. And so rather than unpack each of these here in the context of our conversation here today, really that's going to be your invitation over the next week to further define and dive into the details of how this has played out in your life. And uh, it's, it's been a funny weekend because people have had some comments about it. And it, I was basically getting this co- comment back like, this is, what did someone say earlier? It's like, that's good, but I don't like it. You're messing with me. Get out of my life. <laughs> it's like, of course, this, there's something about this that just feels like a terrible idea. Like, I mean, it's like, can we just leave the past in the past? Like, honestly, who of us wants to go digging around in all our shame and inadequacy and pride and our harm? I mean, no one wants to do this. It was funny, last week, uh, Pastor Jonathan uh, in the West Auditorium was doing announcements, and he made a joke about a ministry that he said was starting that wasn't actually starting. He uh, said that we were going to start a new grow-together men's lawn mowing racing ministry, uh, to which, like, guys, like, lit up, and then when he said they were joking, I seriously watched guys just like, oh, man. It's like, I mean, sure, after talking about this stuff for two weeks, who wouldn't rather be racing lawnmowers? Like, yes, please, like, get me out of this stuff. I would much rather be mowing my lawn than doing this stuff any other day. Like, one of my favorite things to do is, like, what I'll call time trials around my house to see, you know, how fast you can get the lawn mowed. Um, it's an inevitable summer event in our house where uh, Jessica's like, hey, dinner's going to be ready in 30 minutes. I'm going to say, I'm going to go mow the lawn. She's like, dinner's going to be ready in 30 minutes, to which I say two words, time me. And then jet out the door, close behind me, shutting down any possibility of conversation. Therefore, uh, this is why this is not a marriage sermon, uh, a sermon that we're looking at. So because who are we kidding? Mowing is easy. You know, you just kind of like check out and, you know, let the world kind of melt away. This, this is tough. I mean, this is difficult. I mean, who wants to take the risk of opening up the junk drawer of our lives and everything, you know, the life shapers and the sore spots that we've been stuffing in there and didn't even realize it. Now, this is not easy. This is going to take mental fortitude and resilience and just a downright grit to face this stuff. 
And don't misunderstand, this is not about sulking and self-pity and self-absorption. Uh, it's about being actually released from all that. It's about being released from the corrosive influence of life's sore spots, not wallowing around in them. And for an extra nod toward tough, because I feel like I need something tough, uh, a quote from a superhero. Spider-Man, without the mask, Peter Parker. He actually paints this this way in the original 2002 Spider-Man film. He says, who am I? You sure you want to know? The story of my life is not for the faint of heart. If somebody said it was a happy little tale, if somebody told you I was just your average, ordinary guy, not a care in the world, then somebody lied. You see, if you want to just continue to buy into the lie that your life is just average and not that much has been poured into it, then it will be a lie. But if you want to step forward, then you'll realize it is not for the faint of heart. It will take commitment and discipline to map out your life experience, your life shapers, and those resulting sore spots. I love the way that retired Navy SEAL officer, now author, Jocko Willink sums up discipline. He says, there is no shortcut. There is no hack. There is just one way. So get after it. Discipline equals freedom. Discipline is the pathway to freedom. And so the discipline to go through this process to make sense of your life map, it is the way that you will experience living and operating out of that freedom of God's edited map as we move through this process together. Because all, all this heart stuff, it's not, it's not a feminine thing. It's, it's not a masculine thing. It's, it's a human thing. It's, it's a, a God thing. It's a Hebrews 12, 11 thing. Uh, as, and as much as I love Spider-Man and Jocko, uh, God says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, great word, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so we are stepping through a training process, a discipline, a practice that we are trusting ultimately is not in our, of ourselves, but God's Holy Spirit at work in us. And so we're gonna spend a little bit of time here praying, inviting that pathway that God has given us to let him be at work in us, in the disciplines that he's calling us to do. And so the way we're gonna do this is I've got two questions, reflection questions that come straight out of the on your own this week to kind of kind of tee up that conversation in your own head and heart. And then from there, I'm just going to pray, not even our own words, but the word of God and his promises over this process as we step into it in the days ahead. Okay. And so I'm going to guide us here through these two questions and those prayers. And I would invite you to join me as we invite God to do what he does, be in the heart shaping business. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are asking you to live out your promise in our life, that you are gonna be in the heart-shaping business in each and every one of our lives as we move through what we're trusting you wanna edit in the days ahead. 
And so we start with this question. Out of the primary life shapers, identify one that has had a significant impact on you. Maybe it's been something that has been an everyday erosion experience that's just been life for a long time that you have realized today is impacting you. Maybe it dates back to stuff from when you were a kid in your family or, or maybe in your family life right now. Maybe there was that defining moment that you didn't have to think about it. You just know that's it. Maybe it's your biology, just stuff within you, the way you're wired. Perhaps it's sin and evil, whether done to you or by you. What is the life shaper that has had a significant impact on you? And as you recall, this life shaper, what would you discern as the, the primary sore spot? Maybe there's multiple, but is there one that really stands out? Shame, you know, fear and worry, not feeling good enough, always behind, inadequate, insecure, being left out, rejected, excluded, maybe under or un valued. We're trying to mask it all with pride. What would you discern as the primary source spot? And now, praying the promises of God over our life shapers and our sore spots and our life experience. We press into God's edited plans and promises for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. God, how thankful we are that this is the beginning of the promise, that whatever it is that has shaped us, and pained us. You care about it. And not only do you care about it, but we can cast that care upon you, the one who cares for us. And so that's what we do. The last few minutes, we don't want to sit with that. We want to leave it with you. And with that, we understand God. Hebrews 12, 11, you don't, you don't lie to us. You tell us the truth, that it is a discipline that will not seem pleasant at the time, even painful, we're thankful, God, that later on it does produce the necessary path to a harvest of righteousness and peace, a peace that transcends our understanding, it says elsewhere in your word, for those who have been trained by it. So train us, God. Teach us your ways. Help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to persevere, to have the strength, to the discipline to reach that harvest of peace in our lives, not just for us, but for those who you've called us to as well. We're thankful for the promise from the words of Jesus who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke or my way upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle 
and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke, my way, it is easy, meaning it fits perfectly and my burden is light. So as we consider Jesus who went before us and the many more that have followed him to pave the path of a road marked out for us. Therefore, Hebrews 12, one through three, since we are surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, let us then throw off the everythings that hinder and the sin that has entangled us. Let us Run with perseverance, God, that race that you have marked out for us. How? By fixing our eyes on our example, our way, our power, Jesus, who is the pioneer, the author, and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that we in our journey will not grow weary nor lose heart. Because the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. There's literally nothing else wanting within me because you are everything I need. And so by the power and the grace and the mercy of Jesus, we see it as a statement, but also our prayer that as we above all else, you guard our heart so that everything we do moving forward that flows from it is of you for the furthering of your kingdom, all by your power and all to your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, I would encourage you this week to continue that conversation with him that we started here today. Make sure you grab the on-your-own experience, if you will, from the uh, resource table out in the lobby, uh, or even better, get those emailed to you each week uh, at firstcater.org. Click on the What's Happening and get those to you in your inbox so that you can, again, get out of this by putting into it. Uh, And then also just recognizing um, this isn't as fun as mowing the lawn or racing mowers. Uh, This is tough stuff. And as we've gone through this, if something has been drawn up within you that you'd like to have a further conversation, uh, prayer with one of our trusted elders or pastors uh, here in the front of the room in the West Auditorium, as well as in the East Auditorium, and our pastor online uh, would be honored to pray with you one-on-one about any of these things that maybe have gotten started uh, in your head and heart. You're not on on your own. Uh, That's what the church is. We're, We're in this together, and we go together, you and me, to him. And so with that, I want to invite us all.